Hey there, this is Andrew. And this is Chelsea. Welcome to Hugging and Learning, the podcast where we rewatch the very special episodes of sitcoms that we loved as children and see what they have to teach us today as adults. Absolutely. And today we're looking at Family Matters, the episode Life of the Party. This is season two, episode 18, which first premiered in February 8th of 1991 and was written by Janet Lynn Jackson. You can watch this and all the episodes of Family Matters on Hulu. And today our snack of the day is these are Hawaiian kettle style potato chips and the flavor is jalapeno. Yes. Distressingly, and, uh, it's jalapeno. Yeah, so these are made by Tim's Cascade Snacks in the state of Washington. Oops. So <laughs> traditional Hawaiian kettle-style potato chips made in the state of Washington. Yeah, you know. Yeah, let's try these. Okay. Thoughts. I'm all right with these. Yeah, They're I like them. Good. I don't know what makes them Hawaiian style. They I don't know what makes taste them like mo- regular kettle chips to me. I feel like I've neither moved to hula nor mm. drink a glass of water as the Peño would. Yeah, they're not denote. spicy. No. They're tasty, though. It's great. Miles? Approved. Thanks, Miles. Audio engineer Miles good approves. Job. Always well. All right, great. So now that we have all of the housekeeping about the episode <laughs> out of the way, uh, it's time to talk about the premise. So this is an episode that deals with teen drinking, which is an interesting trope in entertainment. I did some research about the history of teenage drinking in Hollywood. Uh, a couple of interesting things came up. In the 80s, it seems that shows and movies about teens either ignore drinking or cast it in the light of teenage rebellion. So no judgment. Sure. This is just what teens do. Or just genuinely glossed over. We recently spoke about Teen Wolf. And there's a party for high schoolers where there are multiple kegs of beer. That's your entry into the party is bringing a keg of beer and eh, just fine. That's expensive. It is expensive. That's and a high bar for entry. It really is. And also, I think there's drinking later on in the episodes. Lots of drinking in the 80s was just kind of like, yeah, that's what teenagers do. Yeah, so that that seems to be the prevailing attitude. Either we don't talk about it at all, or if we do, it's just like teenagers rebel. This is one of the things they're going to do. Right. Um, but then we get to the 90s, and the worm turns, and teen drinking is seen as a social problem. This is, And it's addressed in a lot of various special episodes in the 90s. We oh, have sure. a, on our spreadsheet of very special episodes, we have a whole tab that's just drinking, teen drinking episodes. But then... At the end of the 90s, the worm turns yet again, and <laughs> it seems that since the year 2000, teens drinking on screen is again seen as just a fact of life and not the end of the world. Right. Um, and this is information comes to me via an article published in 2013 on Mike.com called A Brief History of Teenage Drinking in Hollywood Movies by Carly Lindauer. Also of note... Binge drinking itself, not just uh, among teenagers, but actual drinking in real life. A New York Times article published in 2017 says that studies have found that instances of drinking and binge drinking among teens are weighed down since the early t- 2000s, right. although the decrease varies up across different populations. So conversely, marijuana use among teens is way up while perceptions of the harm of marijuana use have decreased. About in the late 90s, one in two high school seniors reported having used alcohol in the last 30 days, where in 2016, it was down to one in three. So binge drinking, the 90s was really the heyday, it seems, of binge drinking and of dealing with binge drinking in entertainment. Sure. 
And I think it's just this the sort of common up and down of anything that's demonized in that way. It's premarital sex is something to completely abstain from, and then it's something to discuss with your parents and be responsible about, and then it's back to being demonized again. And just up and down based on what everybody's panicking about. Right. So here we are, 1991. Yes. Uh, Family Matters. This is the beginning of the wave of teen drinking and how, how do we talk to kids about it on TV. Sure. Um, Family Matters takes an interesting tactic about it. Yeah, it, this so, is all over the map. Have you had you watched Family Matters before? I had watched some episodes of Family Matters. Um, I was a little bit young when this show was on. I've definitely seen a handful of episodes, enough to know the core members of the family. I remember that Carl Winslow was a cop right. and that Steve Urkel was obsessed with his daughter and lived next door and everybody was annoyed with Urkel all the time. Yep. And he was constantly asking, did I do that? Yes. Um, and then sometimes he transforms into... Stefan or Kel. Of course he does. And then by the end of the episode, reality itself is thrown out the window and they are time traveling and what? shrinking and growing. Oh, yes, I'm sorry, absolutely. What? Yeah, there's an episode. It where, turns into science fiction? Yeah. Well, it just, they just, it's not a matter of not trying. It's just sort of throwing your hands up and being like, We've done everything well, else. we have to concentrate on this one character huh. uh, and we don't have any vague ideas. It ends up being, I think, the high. Point, low point, is Carl and Stephen Urkel uh, shrink themselves down and have an entire Honey, I Shrunk the Kids type wow. adventure, which, funnily enough, is not resolved at the end. At the end, they're still small, and then what? they just go back to it. I definitely missed all of that. I remember the problems of the show being mostly family and school stuff. Sure. Super light fair. So Family Matters is actually a spinoff oh. of the show Perfect Strangers. What? The mother... Um, uh, on this show, on Family Matters, was the elevator operator, I believe. That's a stretch. I mean, come on. But Perfect Strangers itself, <laughs> a bit of a stretch. Yeah. But sort of a, a sassy, you know, occasional character on Perfect Strangers, she then has her own show, which starts out in the first season as a genuine family drama between these people living in the suburbs of Chicago. And that is more or less what the ordinary world of this show is. Yes. If Chelsea, you'll, you'll tell us about yes. that. And then I'll tell you where it goes horribly wrong. <laughs> the ordinary world, in terms of the hero's journey, the world as we know it, it seems to be, we're establishing that by starting with the whole Winslow family in the living room arguing about something. They're shouting, we don't understand. And then Carl, ever the beleaguered patriarch, blows an air horn to get them to quiet down. And Mother Winslow does not stop knitting for this fight. Uh, no, she's knitting through the entire thing. And it turns out we're fighting about where to go on vacation, which is super middle-class family stuff. It, and this should be the ordinary world of this entirety. Like, the entire series is meant to be a basic family sitcom. However, uh, just a bit of history. Uh, in season one, they introduce a guest character named Steve Urkel, uh-huh. who at the time is a nerd obsessed with cheese. His first catchphrase is... Does anybody have some cheese? You got any cheese? You got any cheese? Or, you got or any some cheese? Very, any like cheese? that? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, this is yes. all ringing a bell. And so hilarious is this character. They bring him back for another episode or two. He's the audience's favorite. And then by this time, he is the center of the, the series. He's like uh, Andy in Parks and Rec. He was not supposed to be so. there through the yeah. whole first season. He just It's when the wacky neighbor takes over and yeah. the whole episode is like, well, we can just be wacky the whole time. Which unfortunately slots the actual family drama into the back seat. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so yes, we start out with what the show intended to be, which is a family having family problems. But now we are in season two, episode eighteen, so we are fully in Steve Steve Urkel's world, as we can as we can clearly see by the way this this uh, episode is structured. So as Chelsea mentioned, we start out with the family arguing about where to go on vacation. It's barely a joke. It's I want to go to Nashville, like, like chuckles. Oh. I want to go to Vegas. You say barely a joke. Aunt Rachel has my favorite line of the whole show in Please. this scene. Aunt Rachel says she wants to go to the beach to, quote, catch some rays, catch some Zs, catch a man around his knees. Catch a man around his knees. And I have no idea why I have not seen that on an enormous novelty wine glass <laughs> or a beach towel somewhere because that is fucking gold. Or spoken every single episode of Cougar Town. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. I didn't remember Aunt Rachel. I didn't know of Aunt Rachel before this moment. And now I'm like, all right, so she's the Randy Ant, which is the stuck, stuck character. Yeah, you know, absolutely. like she is the thirsty ant. She um, is she's the Blanche. Um, she's the Blanche. The, the, does the hero's journey have an archetype about the Blanche? It does not. No, we'll sadly. get to the archetypes. Uh, but Carl <laughs> wants to go to Lake Geneva in Wisconsin. And Andrew, you and I both lived in Chicago. That's a short drive. That's nonsense right there. <laughs> it's not a real vacation. That's, a, claim, that's a weekend getaway. Claim to fame of, of Lake Geneva, of course, is where Gen Con comes from. <laughs> That's a for real thing. That's where it started. That's where D&D was developed wow. originally. So they were so bored. Yeah. Gary Gygax and his friends had the first convention, which, you know, that's what you want to call it when your nerd friends get together. Yeah. So Carl says, arguing is not the way we solve things in this family, then claps his hands and unilaterally decides they're going to Lake Geneva. And everyone goes back to talking over each other. So this is how we know we are in a loud, loving, functional middle-class family that does wholesome things like take vacation and we do not solve things by arguing. That's what we've set up. And as soon as it's begun, the cold open is over and we're into the title and credits. Yes. Which has my favorite style of credits, which is the, oh, hi there style. I love it. Which is, I'm doing something. It makes me feel so happy. I've noticed the camera and I'm smiling. So the call to adventure comes right after this, oh, hi there, which is that Laura and her friend Maxine are planning a party and smiling a lot. Boy. Um, The party is going to be on Laura's roof because her parents just got new carpet, which is pretty handy. Is it on Maxine's roof? Yeah. You said Laura. Oh, Laura. Sorry. Laura says, how did you get your parents to agree to this? So they're living in the suburbs. Yes. And it's going to be, okay, there was some confusion about that because all their establishing shots are of Of downtown Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Sure. Um, More smiling. There's definitely a very loud laugh track happening. Oh, boy. Aunt Rachel comes in. She's catering the party. um, Sure. And she says, unless Maxine gives her more money, she's going to be forced to water down the punch and buy generic chips. And the girls could not care less because they are teenagers with unformed palates and they will eat actual garbage if it has nacho cheese on it. (laughs) You know who's wrong in this situation is the grown woman trying to profit (laughs) off of a kid's party who then gets very dismayed that she's like, ugh. I'm barely going to break even. I'll be able to buy a stamp with the profit that I make off my daughter and or my niece and her friend. Which is a little bit like, we have to establish that Aunt Rachel is going to be there as an adult supervisor at this party, except that she then leaves almost as soon as she gets there. So I'm not quite sure. This is just part of the problematic nature of the structure of this episode. There is 22 minutes to get through everything with 30 minutes with with your commercial breaks. You've got 22 minutes to create a problem, address it and then make sure you're also delivering a lesson in there so you barely have time to do much of anything for example chelsea 
what did you think about the interaction between Maxine and Laura? No time. We got to get to that party. <laughs> he was very smiley. Um, we don't have time for that, Chelsea. It's my favorite sort of sitcom thing where it's like, no time. We need to get to that problem. The call to adventure is that we're having a party. Cut to the party immediately. Imme- it's on no an time. enviably large rooftop Jeez. hung with paper lanterns. And a song called Onion Skin by Boom Crash Opera is playing. Jesus. Thank you, Shazam. Oof. Um, that is <laughs> the most, it's like the 90s crumpled in on itself and produced a band. <laughs> What is it? Onion? Onion Skin is the name of the song. The band is Boom Crash Opera. And Laura shows up, and she and Maxine play the You Look Amazing, I Look Hideous game for a second, which is super real. Some boys. Is that? that, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Amy Schumer has this whole sketch on Inside Amy Schumer about these girls who keep, this group of friends, they keep showing up on the sidewalk and seeing each other and saying, oh, I I love this, this I love that, and then saying, oh, no, I look horrible, no. And then one girl finally shows up and says, accepts the compliment, Mm -hmm. and then they turn on her and destroy her. Right. Some boys show up at the party that Laura was clearly not expecting, and Maxine is excited because people are actually crushing her party, which I completely get. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that a status kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, to be fair, I threw a party in high school when my when my parents went out of town. Um, Did like cool a, kids crash it? Well, adult kids crashed it. <laughs> Which made me feel great at the time, but it was like, oh, these kids graduated two years ago, and they're at my a fourteen year old's party. Yeah, that looks great for you and terrible for them. Yeah, that was pretty much how I felt. Yeah, I was like, wow, these losers really make me seem cool. (laughs) Yeah, it's an interesting paradox. Yeah. Um, So yeah, crash the party, instant cool. Yeah, so uh, these people that are and they're boys. They are boys, Um, and the two boys in particular that they don't expect are Willie and Walter. And Willie is clearly the local tough. Well, Willie is what we like to call the snake character. <laughs> the character who shows up one time has an agenda to destroy the moral fabric of every character in the episode, and then you'll never see him again. Well, I feel like he was in the previous episode. I didn't watch it, but let me check IMDb because I feel like there's a thing about sure. Willie is mad at Steve from the previous episode. Oh, Not that you would know that. That would be fantastic. Um, now, it, while Chelsea's looking that up, I'm I will note this. that Willie is played by Lorenz Tate. What? That's right. Lorenz Tate, who was Did not in even recognize him. Dead Presidents and uh, later to be in Crash and the very next year to star in Menace to Society. So in my mind, I like to equate these two things, that this was his first foray into crime and then boom, he's in South Central, I believe. All right. So I found it. So season two, episode 11. So remember, we're in season two, episode 18. Seven episodes ago. Season two, episode 11. It's called Requiem for an Urkel. And apparently, uh, in this episode, school bully Willie Fuffner, his last name is Fuffner. Yeah, Willie Fuffner, by the way. Yeah, right? Um, Screams Chicago, cool guy. Yeah, super Chicago name. Uh, <laughs> Willie Fuffner has his eye on Laura, who wants nothing to do with him. And so Urkel tries to stick up for Laura, and he and Willie get into a fight. And the gym teacher decides that instead of referring to them, them to the principal, they should fight it out in a boxing ring. What? Carl gives Urkel a few pointers. On fight day, Urkel holds his own temporarily. And just when Fuffner is about to deliver the knockout punch, another character called Greg challenges the bully to a fight. Fuffner accepts, but then the other boys decide to fight back and eventually outnumber the bully who decides to run. So then Willie shows up at the party. So then the next time (laughs) we see him... Cut to... (laughs) Yeah. Cut to Willie shows up at the party. Uh, Why? Okay, that's just confusing, but I'm glad that they've set up the fact that Urkel and Willie Fuffner... (laughs) Willie Fuffner, by the way. Strong Polish name. Um, (laughs) Right. Willie Fuffner... uh, 
they have a, a rivalry. That's nice that there's some continuity because it really comes as a sort of shock that um, we'll get there when, when right. he and Urkel see each other. But first things first, we have a problem. Yeah, we have a problem. Willie Fuffner has some plans for this party, and mm-hmm. those plans involve booze. Yep. Uh, Willie is acting super shifty by the punch Namely, bowl. about 500 mini bottles of booze. <laughs> yes, which Walter has brought in his coat uh, because his dad's a stewardess, which is a pretty funny line. I'm going to tell you what. Is it is it Waldo or Walter? Walter. Walter made me laugh aloud yeah. several times. Yeah, he's the dim-witted lackey, and it's spiking time. Yeah, here's the thing. By the way, they, they discuss for a half a second what kind of booze they're going to put in here, and then just start dumping all of the booze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's Super a real gross. brandy vodka whiskey. <laughs> suicide. Delicious. Yeah, it's, it's a <laughs> literal suicide. Because uh, uh, they also, we find out later, not to spoil this, when... The episode ends, you find out they've used every bottle of booze. Yes, they're all gone. Every single of the 50 or 70 <laughs> bottles of booze has circulated amongst these 70-pound <laughs> teenagers. Everyone at this party should be out of their mind Everybody drunk. should be out of their consciousness. <laughs> um so Laura comes over and says, drinking is for losers, and Willie calls her St. Laura, and Chelsea is right back in high school. Oh. Because I didn't drink in high school, and I didn't want to, and I didn't, it was kind of vague to me. So what would happen is, because I went to a lot of parties, and well, I would, this is bragging. the thing. No, I did. I like hung out with popular kids, but cool. I didn't want to drink. And so I would fill a Zima bottle with water and walk around with that all night because wow. people would harass me for not drinking. Sure. And I just didn't want to have the conversation. And I don't know what kids do now if they don't make Zima anymore <laughs> because Zima <laughs> was Mike's completely clear. Now, sure. Well, here to, to piggyback on, on your teen drinking story, here is my one and only teen drinking story because I only teen drank once. You're going to give me shit. You only drink well once. Uh, here's why so i was raised in a strictly religious household where booze was just considered you know off limits you didn't drink drinking was of even the adults devil. what's that even adults even my parents didn't drink at all yeah. they got drunk once and hated it off of i'm sure a half a glass of wine god bless them so when i first when i went to my very first like teenage party at 16 where there was going to be booze i was like well i'm gonna drink and uh, so embarrassing. I didn't understand how drinking worked. So why would you? N- why would I? Hold on, that's not the embarrassing part. So I based it off of um, Looney Tunes, where yeah. where if a character on Looney Tunes wanted to get drunk, they drink an entire bottle of something. Jesus Christ, Andy! Go. That's that's the response. So I got to this party. Went to the kitchen where there were bottles of booze, and I was like, well, oh one God. bottle equals one drunk, no. so here we go. <laughs> no. And sat on a stool in the kitchen and what drank from it? a generic grocery store brand rum <laughs> and ate Cool Ranch oh, Doritos no. while talking to people no. No. until I literally fell? fell down onto the floor and had to be carried into some room somewhere. As much fun of you as I make... Um, yeah, you, you definitely had the better tactic here. 
Um, and sadly, we neither of us needed a Willie Fuffner to convince us <laughs> to no. drink or not. No. Um, um, and so, yes. so it's not that there. It's not that teen drinking is not dangerous. Mm-mm. It's just that we, as we are going to see, the danger presented in this at this party is so unclear, and uh, yeah. we'll get to it. But yeah. so this is the call to adventure. It has something to do with teen drinking, and Laura is definitely the hero, I guess. At this point, she sure. has to save some teens from drinking. I don't know. We'll see what happens. We don't have time to focus on her as a hero, though. So. So very no. quickly, she when she's when she's like, "Hey, I object to this." Maxine says, "Shut up," and she does. She's like, "Well, yep. I don't feel great about this, but I'll go ahead and shut up because yep. bullies." So we're gonna call that the refusal of the call sure. in terms of the hero's journey. Chelsea, these boys have vests on. They do, and, he, and what girl could refuse? And uh, she shouts, "I don't need to ha- to drink to have a good time," and saunters away. Yeah, and there, this would because be because we should we should note that the guys have told them that if they can't drink at this party, they're, they're going leaving. to leave. Because we all know boys will refuse teenage girls at any chance in order to drink or do anything at all. Yeah. What is a boy least interested in than girls. A girls? Yeah. So this would be a point where the meeting with the mentor might occur, except that a lack of adult supervision is part of the problem here. Aunt Rachel was here for five seconds setting yeah. up the food and is now gone. I mean, Janet Jackson's Miss You Much is playing in the background. Maybe that could count in this <laughs> <Right>. instance. <laughs> so Janet because Jackson Because you know what I miss much? Supervising this party. Your morals, Laura. Oh, my God. So now we're in the special world. Act two of the hero's journey. We're outside the hero's ordinary world. If the ordinary world is a loving family that's supportive and does wholesome things like go on vacation, now we're at a friend's party with no family members there. Laura's on her own and people are drinking, which is totally unwholesome. Right, and in a standard episode or a standard story, this would be a great time to start examining repercussions, start setting up any sort of moral, but no time because here comes Steve Urkel. Yeah. So she's not having any fun. That's the other thing. Laura's not having fun. Max tells her to relax. So some guys had a few drinks, big deal. Urkel shows up. And this party looks sedate as fuck. So for I, real. for one, am happy to see him. Yeah. Laura is not. The studio <laughs> studio audience goes berserk. Yeah, because Urkel's Urkel is all, and all is Urkel. <laughs> Urkel is life to oh 1991 God. TV viewers. Oh my God, Steve and Steve, to his credit, really gets the party started in a bit. But first, he goes to the punch bowl and insults the boys. Into- yeah. To try to get them Classic to dance with the girls. Urkel Fuffner rivalry. Ali <laughs> right. <Ollie> Frazier. <laughs> Urkel Fuffner. Tyson Holyfield. <laughs> Urkel Fuffner. <laughs> so this is fun. This is I love the '90s put down trope. I do I too. Love the sort of like battle of wits between teenagers. I feel like we don't see that anymore, and I miss no, it. We don't. They're uh, so creative. Fuffner says something to Urkel. Oh, he says, "Oh, it's Steve the." Geek, which Steve the Dweeb is a much better rhyme. But yeah, he says by the, the way, geek. speaking of Requiem for an Urkel, where, what about <laughs> Re- Requiem for a Dweeb? Where is that? <laughs> so good. Darren Aronofsky <laughs> might as well have written that episode. Oh my God. Um, and he, so they're so, uh, and then Steve says, I bet you were up all night putting that sentence together. You must be exhausted, which is hilarious. It's good. It's so good. And of course, Willie is pissy after that right. and doesn't want to dance. So there Steve is, steps out. This is a 100% tangent, and I apologize ahead of time. Everybody in the world. Steve Urkel says something that has confused me for my entire life. Go on. <laughs> it's, it's an insult that I do not get, but I'm going I'm, to, hopefully someone in this room, your dog included, <laughs> will be able to answer this for me. Steven says, Steven, my good friend Steven, uh, Urkel says, why don't you look exhausted? Why don't you go sit down, but not too hard? 
you wouldn't want to hurt your brain. He's a butthead. Is that what we're doing? Yeah, his brain's in his butt or something. See, but you don't sound 100% sure. That's what it's got to be. His brain's in his butt. <laughs> I feel... <laughs> yeah, his brain's in his butt. You know, I feel like... But that's no like, other way to explain what that. I get it, but that's such a weird abstraction from like what seems to be an established thing. Sure, Chelsea, it may be that his brain is in his butt, but it feels like there needs to be that needs to be a common thing before you can be like, well, here's a nuanced the approach to the laughed. old brain butt. Well, fucking Chelsea, <laughs> the Family Matters audience would laugh at a glint off of a piece of poop. And the Family Matters audience would laugh at it. Poop doesn't glint. Poop's uh, not you, shiny. Well, it is if, like, Family Matters, people, you try to polish a turd. God. Yeah, we, we came all the way. We have to bring this back. No. All right. Well, I will concede the point that Brain is in his butt. Put that, put that down, Miles. Miles is desperately trying to get us to bring it back, and I refuse. I'm refusing Miles' call to adventure to talk more about glinty poop. All right, I will bring it back. I feel like that's not 100% it, and I'll do some internet research later, but fine. For right now, brain butt. (laughs) So anyway, Steve wants to get the party started. The boys won't dance with the girls. And also wants to win this rivalry, so he does what any teenager would do. Choreograph dancing. Choreograph dancing that everybody automatically knows uh, mm-hmm. in the form of do the Urkel. Do the Urkel. Not only does everyone already know the Urkel, he has brought with him, I guess, a backing track where a woman is singing do the Urkel and he narrates the rest. I think that they try to make it sound like the girls at the party are singing do the Urkel. No. Yeah, that's yeah, a grown are, woman's voice. I, I understand that it is a grown woman's voice, but the ladies at the party are mouthing the do the oh, Urkel. Oh, God. In a real Donna Summers brand voice. Here's my question. Yeah, sure. Did this become a thing? Did DJs have to keep a cassette tape of Do the Oracle with them to bring to school dances? Well, Did this catch on? Here's what I know, because I immediately thought the same thing of they don't do things like this without needing some sort of marketing backup to it. Like they didn't didn't put Do the Bartman in there without having a a cassette ready to sell to a, a impressionable teen. They didn't, though. They did not have a single of this available anywhere. There's no album to be found anywhere. It's not a gold mine. But what they did have, um, they didn't have an album. They didn't have any music available. You can't even buy it on iTunes, which is a real goddamn shame. They did make a board game called Do the Oracle. What? That seems like a complete waste of time. That's not what this was about at all. Uh, I would say that Family Matters is all about a waste of time, to be honest with you. But it's a game where you are traveling around the board, doing things, and if you land on the wrong- Like hiking up your pants and speaking in a high-pitched voice, which seemed to be the hallmarks of the Oracle. Well, it's better than Elvis. Uh, If you land on the wrong space, you have to use your fingers in order to do an Urkel dance. Uh, that you have to sing along to, or something like what? that. Yeah, it's a <sighs> it's a fucking mess. It's as though nobody thought about it for more than five fucking seconds. He does say better than Elvis, which I noted is the second time Elvis is name checked in this episode for whatever that's worth. Oh sure, because Grandma wants mother to. wants to go to uh, Graceland. Oh Mother Winslow. Mother Winslow. Remember the family? They're gone now. Yeah, I do know that the the Urkel do the Urkel was later reprised 
at a school dance on Step by Step. What? Yeah, there was a crossover episode. Oh, the crossover episodes. Um, yes, and they there was did a the night Urkel. Of NBC crossovers. Yes, they did the Step by Step. Good lord. Uh, do the Urkel on Step by Step. Yeah, because you know why waste time in one episode <laughs> when you can waste time in two episodes? So, All right. So uh, Steve- Willie. Steve does the Urkel. Everybody yes, joins and in. Steve apparently does not need to drink to have fun either, and in that he is Lara's ally. Yes, absolutely. And which brings us to Willie's amazing plan for revenge on Urkel. He's going to give Urkel some precious, precious alcohol. That'll show him, <laughs> says Willie. Yeah, he's going to get Urkel drunk, and that's going to be revenge because question mark. Around this part, I realized that Maxine is wearing black bike shorts and a blue velvet overcoat, which is pretty genius and amazing. Um, (laughs) Thank you for the fashion comment. Yeah, I always notice if it's something I would have worn myself. So (laughs) Willie is having none of this uh, frivolity of the Urkel, and Mm. he spikes Urkel's punch, and then he acts all nice to Urkel and offers him the spike punch to make a toast to their new friendship. Which Urkel uh, takes a drink and says is that Mango has said nobody when confronted with a, <laughs> any a kind of alcohol. Hard fucking liquor for the first time in their life. Many is like, kinds of liquor mixed together. Hey, is this mango that's burning my throat making me want to die? <laughs> Cut to Urkel screaming drunk. Literally screaming drunk. Sure. And all the kids standing around in a circle laughing at him, which is far too real and another reason I didn't drink in high school. But here's the the problem, and again, a very common problem with, with special episodes they're not laughing at him. They're laughing with him. He is the life, the titular life of the party. Although he calls himself the pipe of the lardy. Yeah, this is, by the way, watch out, kids. Drinking will make you vaguely dyslexic. <laughs> I guess. Because that's pretty much, I mean, there's two, two things that happen to him. One of them is speaking funny. The other is plunging to his death in a moment. Um, he seems very sweet. He's actually very sweet to everyone And everybody now. fucking loves him. Yeah. This notoriously hated character is now... Everyone Accepted loves them. by all the yeah, kids. Yeah, that's a trope. Sure. Um, and it but, can't get enough of that delicious, delicious booze either. <laughs> Laura has apparently never seen a drunk person because she does not put together what's happening until Walter tells him that they spiked Urkel's punch. So she is uh, very upset about the idea of kids drinking, but has nev- has no way to identify when that's actually happened. Not at all. So Steve, because he's so drunk, starts dancing on the ledge. And then Aunt Rachel materializes in an uh, irresponsible puff of smoke. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Where have you been, Aunt Rachel? Who knows? You've been catering Trying this Trying to party. catch a man around his knees somewhere, apparently. I guess so. By the way, that's real uncomfortable. I know, I It know. doesn't, like, the image Do you alone... think the studio audience was uncomfortable? Not at all. They ate that shit up. They laughed so hard. So now we're approaching the inmost cave. Lara is getting close to a threshold if Lara is still the hero here, although no. who cares? At this point, it's so muddy. Um, Steve is her ally, and he's a drunk teen, but she needs to save him from teen drinking. But how can she do that because she's already, he's already drunk? Yeah. So she can't warn him or go back in time and keep him from drinking. So the show has to create a crisis around drinking that she can save Urkel from. Right, which is Urkel dancing on the ledge and then falling to his death. Right, and Aunt Rachel is back, and she decides that she has to be the one to save him, which makes sense because she's the only adult around. But if Laura's the hero, and Rachel's been barely been in this episode. Right. So Laura's just completely taken out of the picture. Yeah. This should be, the focus should be on her. But again, the show is so 
Urkel-centric, as I like to call it, they can't give any of the family enough time to be a developed heroic character. Right. And so this is the climax, the supreme ordeal. Steve is hanging from a ledge he would never have been able to catch, but sure, he's got ninja reflexes when he's drunk. Of course he screams that he's fallen and he can't get up because it's 1991. Hilarious, by the way. And this Everybody is where we have berserk. our act break. This is our first act break. You know, we're leaving on a literal cliffhanger, uh, a literal ledge hanger. <laughs> And then let's discuss this. So this is definitely suburbs, even though they keep cutting to... Chelsea and I both lived in Chicago. Word. And this doesn't look like anything ever. Nope. Also, apparently Family Matters takes place in 1890 because there's uh, clothing lines with like uh, full pajamas hanging yes. off of yes. them. And a bra because hilarious. Hilarious. So yes, we come back into Act 2 complete continuation, Urkel is still hanging from the ledge. Right. And at this point, it should be, as I said, it's Laura who should have to save... Laura is here to save kids from drinking, even though the kids suffering the most dire consequences of drinking didn't mean to drink. It's super convoluted logic, and and so it's Aunt Rachel that goes down to the ledge after Steve and... But, like... Well, I get the point that... I get the idea that, number one, this episode has a lot of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just let's just go with that one. I guess, but the thing that we're trying to teach a lesson here, right? Well, but, but what has happened is the people who have the stakes don't perform the actions, and the people who perform the actions don't suffer the consequences. For sure. But here's where I think that the impression that I get of this episode is they were like, "Well, Laura should be the technically in a storytelling point of view, Laura should be the one who saves Steve." And then they thought about Laura has to climb down and walk around on a ledge. Oops, we can't do that. We can't encourage children to walk around on ledges. Yeah. So Aunt Rachel has to come back and do this. They should have made Aunt Rachel a, a more central character or made it a situation where Laura could have saved Steve. They didn't do either of them because I guess... What if Aunt Rachel had been like a cool aunt who was like, well, I'd rather have them drinking here where sure. I can supervise them than out somewhere. So if it would have been that, if it would have been her like, well, I'm here supervising them and then this happens anyway and she has to save him, that I can see is like a person made a decision that, and there were consequences and she had to redeem herself. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, that's not what we have at all. Rachel or, calls upon her many years of circus training to tightrope walk. What the fuck the is this, by the way? Steve. Uh, wait, no, she's never done this before. Here? She's what are never we done it before. doing here, episode? Thank God she's wearing flats. Yeah, I guess so. Well, she's actually wearing... Uh, uh, grip bottom ballerina shoes. Great. Which you can see very clearly when she tightrope walks. And then there's the line, how did you learn how to do this? Or how are you doing this? And she says, I don't know. I've never done this before. Okay. <sighs> Good job, Not I guess. Not a thing you can just do the first time. I um, feel like this this episode stinks of, writing this episode stinks of, yeah, something like that. We'll figure it out later. Yeah, and then... She has to tightrope walk over to pull him up onto the ledge, which means they both have to tightrope walk back. And Steve is so drunk, he can barely stand. Yeah. So do they just leave him on the ledge to sober up? I guess so. <laughs> I like uh, to think so. Like, <laughs> it's, it's all, this is all very unclear. This is in terms of like cause and effect, yeah. right? So we get a general sense that teen drinking is bad because someone almost died. However, the person who almost died didn't mean to be drinking. Okay, and then... They switch it around because all of the consequences, which are not, are, are no longer on the person who drinks. Because when we we move forward a little bit in time, guess what? We're still on the fucking rooftop because we paid for that rooftop set. You're gonna <laughs> see it. Using 100%, it. Ninety percent of this episode is rooftop, rooftop, rooftop. 
we come back and the comeuppance for this episode, whereas Steve was in peril and needed to be saved, then we come back and the cops are there. Yeah, sure. great. Uh, and Willie and Walter are getting uh, arrested, uh, at which point uh, Walter uh, reveals that they've drank all of the 5,000 bottles of booze. Yeah, and Willie has no remorse for nearly causing a death. He says, he even says, see, officer, everything's fine. We were just having a little fun. Yeah, no harm, no so, foul, kind of. Yeah, so Laura yells at him at this point and says, his actions and his drinking are not cool or fun. They are dangerous. Right. Which is the lesson that the show is trying to teach, but like... All we've actually learned is not to take drinks from the school bully. Yeah. The kids who started off not wanting to drink still don't want to drink. And the kids who do want to drink still do want to drink. And the only character seriously affected was somebody who didn't realize they were drinking. And Officer Obvious chimes in with, it's also against the law, and just perp walks Willie and Walter out of the party. Which is a genuine laugh moment, by the way. Everyone laughing as he says they're going to juvie. Oh, no, no. I mean me. (laughs) I had a genuine laugh moment. Not, Not at that. But just the way that Walter says... Where are we going, Willie? <laughs> it's so of mice and men, the two of them. It's <laughs> so heartbreaking. Oh, oh. I'm gonna, I am going to write Steinbeck's of Fuffner and Walter. Oh of mice and Fuffner. Uh, so it just makes, and then they make a, uh, we get one call right, and Walter says, can it be a 976 number? <sighs> Which is an old-timey, like, even at this point, that is a dated joke. Yeah. 976 used to be the... Hey, adult writers. <laughs> hey, well, I have a big question. Do we get a phone call? Sure. Who's going to validate this parking? <laughs> uh, which is a thing that is in every... Check my wife, please. <laughs> Taxes. <laughs> so we perp walk out into the ordinary world where things are stable again back at the Winslow house where, Man, where it's safe. We- we give our audience whiplash by going back to this vacation thing, which we have long forgotten. Which I thought when I first watched it, like the vacation thing is going to factor in, like we're going on vacation, but Laura is staying home, like, the, and then teen drinking, or sure. somehow the going away on vacation was going to be part of. But no, it's it's two self contained jokes: the one in the cold open, and then this one we get right here. Yeah, and it's in a normal episode of television, what you would do is you provide separate stories involving all the characters of the episode that you can cut away from one story to go to the other one. It gives us a break from the overarching story. You don't have to like, it's not just a solid, here's what happens, then this happens, then this happens. It's this happens, and then we'll go to this story and talk about that for a while. Now we're back to the main story. So it should have been this vacation nonsense was peppered in throughout the episode, but instead they're like, here's the vacation thing at the top, a tiny Ibsen rooftop play. (laughs) (laughs) Tennessee Williams Urkel on a shaky brick roof. Um, Also Urkel's gay. Um, Urkel on a hot tin roof. Tennessee Williams joke, y'all. Laura! Oh my god! Theater, theater degree, people. A kid. That's the reason you can get solid jokes like this. Uh, yeah, but instead, what they do is it is vacation at the top, the rooftop party, and then by the way, the vacation at the end, which is so disjointed that you don't care about anything by the it's, time you get here. It's not even worth going into. Carl's upset, blah, 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 blah. Oh my god, Steve Urkel just almost fell to his death. Like, who cares? Yeah. And so we. Uh, now we're back with the elixir. Somehow the knowledge, I don't know who learned anything because as I said, the kids who already had, everyone's just more firmly entrenched in their point of view, I guess. Right. So no, we're, um, we're, well, we're in, I think it's act three, but it also might be. 
No, it's it is it's act, act three, three because it's a commercial break and then it's the next morning. Right, and they are in the Winslow kitchen, and here's where they're going to shoehorn in a lesson. This happens very often in a sitcom. Again, you've got no time for anything, so right. we need to have jokes, jokes, jokes. The actual plot of the episode, and then if we have a second at the end, I'll make sure that I say what the lesson is. Yeah, and it wasn't actually underscored by maudlin music for once. Usually it is. That's true. It was not this time. Steve has a terrible hangover, which you're a teenager. How bad could it be? Right. Like, that's not a thing. He did drink uh, about 50,000 bottles of booze. He drank... A cup because he <laughs> got me, a refill. At least two cups. He got a refill, which he threw on Walter. So oh, you're right. He drank a cup. I don't care how strong that punch was. So uh, anyway, he's he's got a, a, a um, ice pack on his head, and right. Carl's making him a hangover cure Good in classic. a blender, which is maybe the cruelest nonsense to perpetrate upon children. Telling yeah. them there's a way to cure a hangover. Yeah, which is just it's just time and cheeseburgers. That's all yeah, it is. Time and cheeseburgers cure all wounds. I think somebody changed it. that quote somewhere along the way. Yeah. Um, comedy plus time plus cheeseburgers equals right. happiness. Equals hangover. So Carl sits down to tell Steve a drinking story and share advice, but he starts with, well, the night I graduated from the police academy. As an adult. So cool. You're going to tell a story about a time you drank voluntarily because, remember, Steve was dosed. And legally. As an adult. Yeah. This won't apply to Steve or to the teenagers watching at all. Cool. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. And then the the repercussions are limited to the next thing I knew, I was riding a cow down the damn Dan Ryan, Ryan Which, no, you weren't. There Ryan's, was no point no, in time in which you were not. doing that. You can't, you can't get – look, I'm going to tell you this, people, because I know there's a lot of misconceptions about Chicago. You can't get a cow there. Um, so Steve vows never to drink again. Yeah. And Carl says, good for you, Steve. Not everything in moderation, not wait until you're an adult. Anything. He, nothing. Just like Carl's like, I drank once as an adult and got drunk. Steve says, cool, I'm never doing it again. Carl goes, great, great, great. Done. Steve drinks Carl's hangover, hangover cure. cure. He's instantly cured. Done. Um, there's no discussion about alcohol at all. Mm-hmm. Willie and Walter might just as well have pushed Steve off the roof. Sure. It's not even implied that their <laughs> then, actions were motivated by alcohol. Yeah. It's not even implied that they were drunk and that's why they drugged him. And then Carl would be like, yeah, I remember one time where I pushed myself off the roof when I was an adult. Yeah, they dosed him <laughs> because- <a> cow. <laughs> they dosed him because they're mean, yeah. not because they're drunk and they don't regret you anything. Would, hey, here's a great lesson. Fucking keep an eye on your own goddamn drink. Right. But no, we don't have time for that uh, cow on the Dan Ryan laughter. Right. So disappointing. Disappointed in this episode. It it had it doesn't make any sense, and then it doesn't teach anything. Yeah. Um. And I don't mean to be. This is a thing that I've learned. Now we've watched many of these in preparation for starting this podcast. Sometimes these very special episodes work really well. Sure. And this one doesn't work on any level. I I don't want to place blame anywhere on this, but maybe the fact that you used five of your twenty two minutes with a choreographed dance to sell a board Woof. game. Um, I'm sorry, not even five minutes, because as we're going to find out, they're going to play that shit again. <laughs> as right. I, as I, and I would also like to say just quickly, um, multiple studies have shown that depicting alcohol in films makes teenagers more likely to drink. Yeah. Um, movies and television shows that strive to portray realistic teenage characters can't avoid the subject of drinking entirely. 
And for decades, the media has wavered between glorifying, criticizing, and ignoring underage underage drinking. Um, a German study of 16,000 students found that those who had watched scenes featuring alcohol use were 14% more likely to drink. And that's Germans. And 9% more likely to binge drink. Actually, this, these students were from schools in Scotland, Germany, Iceland, that's Italy, Scottish, the Netherlands, and Poland. Uh, of course, we realize there's the connection between the Polish people and, and Willie Fuffner the most Polish person in this episode. <laughs> Please continue. Uh, his parents had to shorten that to, from uh, Fufnerski at Ellis <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Fufnerski sausages. I remember now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So give me that uh, Fufnerski stuff. <laughs> so anyway, this was an opportunity missed. So let's stick the, an- uh, the landing on this episode. Uh, Steve takes a, a dose of the hangover cure. Hangover is immediately gone, but bop, bow, gives him diarrhea, I guess. Yeah. Is that what we're to learn? Yeah, we're then, ending on a poop joke. So family matters theory is confirmed. And then he runs out of the room into a bathroom, and I guess Laura's in the bathroom? Because he says, sorry about this, Laura. So... No, he says no time to talk. So I think I feel like he just ran past her in the hallway. Oh, well, that's that's a wonderful thought because my thought was Steve Urkel runs into the bathroom where Laura is doing whatever no. and proceeds to poop his brains out in front he of her. He says what? No time to talk. He definitely has that line. Which you can say to somebody in the bathroom oh just as God. easily. All right. I like your theory a lot better. I uh, hope. So let's go with my theory then. Two out of three theories are yours. <laughs> oh my God. Pass her in the hallway, brains in your butt. Mm-hmm. Mine is that Family Matters audiences will laugh at anything. Um, so who did you want to hug in this episode? Oh, my God. I don't um, – you know what? I, I will say I wanted to hug Walter because that dude – I was going to say that too. Yeah, he doesn't need to be there. Walter is a beleaguered, made fun of character who's sort of Willie Fuffner's sidekick. And there's a tragic, tragic, heartbreaking line. Willie says, I'm going to spike Steve's drink because he humiliated me. And Walter says, you humiliate me every day. It's real sad. And he's like, that's different. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, that's different. It's not. Yeah. Run, Walter. I want to hug Walter and say, Walter can't run. run. He's in fucking juvie now. He is. I mean, he did bring the alcohol, but I do want to hug Walter. And what did we learn? Um, that if you are a nerd and you want to be real cool real fast, you got two routes, choreographed dancing or drinking a bunch. Yeah. Uh, I learned not to drink drinks from people at parties, which I already knew. That's just grown up a girl 101. Oh, I learned to breathe in and out. This episode <laughs> taught right. me fucking nothing. <laughs> yeah, this one kind of falls apart. Yeah, All really right. Um, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll catch you next time for another very special episode of Hugging and Learning. Thank you for listening to Hugging and Learning. You can visit us online at huggingandlearning.com or send us an email at huggingandlearningpodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe. Tell your friends about us. You can rate and review. Tell us about your experiences with the things we talked about today. Or suggest what episode you'd like us to do next. Thanks for listening. Our audio engineer is Miles Pulaski and our theme music is by Miles Pulaski. I'm Chelsea. I'm Andrew. See you next time. Bring snacks. Bye. Bye.